0: Because we know how effective our foreign aid can be. Um, I've seen it firsthand over in Africa, some of the projects that we've funded, and it's been fantastic, uh, changing people's lives for the better. So I think it's important that we continue to do that.
1: My name's Andrew Lee, and welcome to The Good Life, a podcast about living a happy, healthy, and ethical life. Although I'm a politician and an economist, this isn't a podcast about politics or economics. It's about living a good life which is an idea that goes back to the Greek philosopher Aristotle. What Aristotle meant by a good life was the life that one would like to live, a life with pleasure, meaning and richness of spirit, the life that most of us were trying to live until everything else got in the way. In this podcast, I'll seek out guests, not because they're smart, but because they're wise. I'll speak with writers, athletes and social justice campaigners with people who've been lucky and those who've experienced hard times. I've found their stories fascinating, and I hope you do too. Matt Napier first saw the effects of extreme poverty in 2007 in Nepal while he was visiting a friend. He decided he wanted to draw attention to the challenge of global poverty and help to raise resources to tackle the challenge. His first big expedition was a 2012 cycling trip from Perth through to Canberra a distance of 3,800 kilometres, which he completed in around six weeks, taking time to stop off and speak to local schools on the way. The next year, in 2013, he walked from Perth to Sydney, en route, bouncing an AFL football, a feat which I find impressive both for the walking and for Matt's ability to catch the football on the way back up. The temperatures ranged from minus 8 to plus 45 degrees, and Matt went through six footballs, five pairs of shoes, and found over $150 in coins on the side of the road. Earlier this year, he did a walk across Africa, started traveling through Namibia, Botswana, South Africa, and Mozambique, and covering nearly 2,300 kilometres. On the way, he didn't bounce an AFL ball, he kicked a soccer ball, in order to raise awareness of the world game, and to... Uh, hand out soccer balls on the en route, uh, giving out around 200 soccer balls to local community groups. But these are just the beginnings of the uh, trips that uh, Matt and his wife Wendy are planning, uh, and we'll talk uh, during the podcast about some of the, uh, the even more intrepid trips that he has planned. Uh, he's somebody who is terrifically centred, wonderfully altruistic, uh, and it's great to have him here to speak on the Good Life podcast today. Thanks for joining us, Matt.
0: Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me.
1: So tell us about the experience in Nepal. How did that change you? Uh,
0: It was my first trip overseas. Um, I was about 27, 28 years of age at the time and um, it was the first time I'd seen extreme poverty firsthand. Uh, Children as young as four and five begging on the streets with no food and no school to go to. And people were literally dying of starvation uh, on the streets as well. So from there, on the flight back home, I I thought to myself, why should I be so lucky to come back to my privileged life here in Australia and leave these poor people behind, when the only difference was the country that we were born into? So that sort of started, planted the seed for me, and um, yeah.
1: And why uh, extreme endurance trips? I mean, there's many ways of fighting fighting global poverty. People don't naturally think that they need to to go on huge cycling, uh, walking trips. What made you feel that that was uh, the best approach for you?
0: Um, It's funny you should mention that because I'm actually not really an athlete. uh, But looking at what I've done, people probably think differently. Um, I wanted to challenge myself by cycling across Australia. um, And I thought raising awareness of global poverty was was a good way to to link the two um so yeah once I finished that I decided to try and walk across Australia and it's funny because I wasn't much of a walker uh, beforehand I was always at school and when we had the walkathon on I was one of the last kids in and the teacher telling me to hurry up or else I'll <laughs> miss the bus um so yeah that was certainly a big challenge and I think it's just a sign of if you put your mind to something anything's possible
1: and do you look to get sponsors beforehand? Is the fundraising a sort of core aspect or is it mostly, is the awareness raising the more central motivation?
0: Uh, both. Uh, they're both very important. Uh, on this last walk across Africa, we funded four projects, uh, which was fantastic. Uh, but, yeah, also getting the message out there about global poverty and, and trying to be better global citizens is really important to our cause.
1: And... How did you find the school kids reacted as you've, uh, you've gone into schools on the route?
0: Fantastic. Uh, it's amazing that um, the little access they have to sporting equipments in, uh, in Africa. Uh, you just go through communities and they don't even have a soccer ball to kick. Uh-huh. So leaving five or six soccer balls at the schools was fantastic. And you know now that they're still kicking them around and you couldn't watch the smile off their face.
1: And, and why, uh, why soccer? Uh, for the latest trip, anyway. I think
0: soccer, well, I couldn't really bounce an AFL football across Africa because they wouldn't know what I was doing. <laughs> so I thought it was time to to adopt the world game and use a soccer ball. Um, and, yeah, it connected us really well with the locals along the way and, uh, yeah, certainly broke down the language barriers and connected us through sport.
1: Are you a soccer fan yourself?
0: A little bit. I, was, I sit and watch a little bit of soccer, but, but not a huge fan.
1: Uh- and just on the uh, uh, on the physical side, uh, it must work all kinds of different muscles in particularly painful ways to uh, to kick rather than just walking.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, the body it, we, we had a, we had a few struggles along the way. I lost fifteen kilos on the trip. Um, I lost eight kilos in the first eleven days, so that was really tough on the body um we should say why that happened because you decided uh to to
1: give yourself an extra challenge on that walk didn't you
0: yeah i did it living uh under the poverty line spending a dollar fifty a day um so that was that was really tough
1: what does a dollar fifty buy you
0: breakfast we had porridge uh lunch was pretty much just two minute noodles uh and dinner was just pasta uh with a little bit of sauce and a little bit of corn and, and tomato put in there as well and the odd bit of fruit but uh they were a pretty small portion, so yeah, not a lot.
1: So you were hungry for a lot of the walk?
0: Definitely, yeah. It was certainly some mornings we, we had to wake up and we'd walk 15 kilometres before breakfast and you could really feel your, your stomach just eating away at itself and it was it was awful. It's um, something I hope I, I never have to experience again. But uh, yeah, we continue to raise awareness with the world's poor, so hopefully less people around the world have to go through that on a day-to-day basis.
1: Yeah, yeah. Did you have a large support crew for that?
0: Yeah, we did. Um, we started off with a support crew of six. Uh, we ended up with two. There were a few fatalities along the way. Um, fatalities? Not fatalities. Well, we, we, we dropouts. had dropouts, yeah. We, uh, we had a cameraman from South Australia who, who was always leaving us halfway through, right. which was fine. Uh, we had a cameraman from South Africa who was going to do the second part of the documentary. Yeah, but uh, we found out after two weeks he was very lazy and wasn't really interested. So we oh, sent yeah. him home in in Windhoek in Namibia, and um, yeah, we had to get rid of our two support crew from Zimbabwe halfway across Botswana. Um, unfortunately, they'd lied to us a, a lot about a few things, oh, and they okay. had a pretty physical altercation with each other. So we sort of had to had to leave them there, and and yeah, just left us on our on our own.
1: That. That must have been hard, given how tough the physical activity was to be dealing with anything else going wrong
0: definitely, yeah, that was really tough. Uh, I still remember the day very clearly that we had to get rid of them um We spent about three or four hours in the police station trying to trying to settle things out, so yeah it was it was tough um mm. but in the end we we made the right decision
1: yeah uh, what did what, what what did the expedition do for you, your relationship relationship with Wendy? I mean, how does that? It must both be a testing experience, but also one that uh, that, that draws you together. I imagine.
0: Yeah, you're right. Uh, it certainly was testing, uh, for the simple fact that living below the poverty line, you're always hungry. You probably get a little bit more moodier than what mm, you usually mm. would. So we probably had a few more arguments than what we what we usually would. Um, but, yeah, overall, we've got a very strong relationship and, yeah, we work together very well.
1: Were you? What, were you, what did you find yourselves talking about as you, during the day?
0: Oh, we, we sort of set ourselves goals where we want to be in a week's time and just break it down as to where we want to be. Um, try not to talk about food too much yes. um, because, yeah, we, we don't get too much of that. Um, and just a little bit of the scenery and that that we saw and the people that we meet. That was certainly the highlights and what we yeah. talked about most.
1: Did, were, did people think you were pretty strange doing what, you, doing what you were doing? There can't be that many people that wander into their villages kicking a soccer ball and saying, I'm going to the other side of the continent.
0: Yeah, we did get a few strange looks. Um, it's quite interesting because a lot of black people in Africa do a lot of walking, but white people don't. Mm. Um, they're usually driven around and things like that. So to see a white person do it was, was quite powerful, I think. Um, but yeah, we, we received v- very well into all the communities, especially through Botswana. Mm. Um villages literally shut down to welcome us in, and it was fantastic. Um, yeah, the Botswana government really looked after us.
1: That must have felt like a great honour to have, have people there to, to see you, to hear what you had to say and so on.
0: Yeah, yeah, it certainly was. Uh, just walking into Botswana, uh, we handed over the passport, and they said, oh, Mr Napier, we've been expecting you. <laughs> and I thought, oh, seems I'm in trouble already. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so she took my passport away and there about eight officers from the passport office wanted to walk the first seven kilometres with me into Botswana, wow. which was fantastic. Um, I think it literally shut down the passport office. I don't think <laughs> anyone else got into Botswana <laughs> that day. But um, even the, the first night we camped in Botswana, uh, we woke at 5.30 in the morning. Someone was going around speaking in their native, native tongue um, with a megaphone in the back of a ute and we had no idea what they were saying. And uh, I got up and uh, I said to my wife, what's going on here? This is ridiculous. We're trying to sleep. And she goes, just listen a little bit more carefully. And all I could work out with the two words was Napier and Australia. What they were doing (laughs) was going around the whole community, telling them to come out and welcome us into Botswana. So it was fantastic.
1: Yeah, yeah. What else sticks with you from that that journey in terms of uh, the highs and the lows of the walk?
0: Uh, the scenery through Southern Africa is gorgeous. Uh, Namibia is absolutely amazing country, uh, and certainly one we'll be going back to. Uh, the, probably the one thing that sticks in my mind was a couple of days after we finished the walk, we went on a field visit with Oxfam and visited one of their programs. And uh, I met three ladies, and one lady in particular really left a... Um, sort of left a... How can I say it? Um, sort of encouraged me to continue to do what I'm doing, to, to raise awareness of the world's poor. She had four children. One had passed away. Uh, one had HIV AIDS. One had a mental illness and couldn't stay with her, so had to sleep under a tarpaulin uh, next to her tin shed, which was only about two metres by two metres. Uh, every time it rained, it would flood. And her fourth child had uh, was victim of a, a hit and run and was paralysed from the waist down. Um, and she was only getting about $9, $10 a month assistance from the government to survive. Mm. Um, so that, that was really tough. We had a lot of uh, media there, a couple of camera crews, and um, they put a microphone in front of me and said, so what do you want to say to this lady? And I said, look, can you just give me a minute? I, I'm, I'm speechless. I just couldn't believe that people live, live in those conditions. So yeah that certainly left a mark on me, and um, certainly gave me um encouragement to go on and continue to do what i do
1: yes how how has it changed how you live your life i mean you've you've had you've had these big stints uh, testing your body in, a, in, a, in an open space do you how do your friends and family speak about how that's that's made you a different person?
0: Um, I've got pretty good support for my family. Um, some of them think I'm I'm mad, uh, but my friends are usually pretty supportive. Uh, they've been really good. Certainly sort of changed my life, being a lot more appreciative of what I've got. Um, I'm always someone who looks at what I've got and I'm very grateful for that mm. uh, instead of going, I want, want, want more and more. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, that's certainly changed me in that way and certainly compassionate towards people that are, are worse off than what we are.
1: Uh and what about going across Australia? Uh, what, what surprised you about, in particular, walking across the Nullarbor, a, a part of the world that few of us drive across, let alone walk?
0: Um, very barren. Um, yeah, it was very tough. I still think today that the first two weeks of that walk across Australia was the toughest two weeks of my life. Uh, and, I, and I believe getting through that has given me the, the impetus to, to go on and, and I can take on any challenge. We had temperatures ranging up to 45 degrees, um, blisters covering both feet, a severely sunburnt bottom lip that got infected, which I had to put cardboard across my face and use strapping tape to tape it to my face just to protect it from the sun. Um, That was really tough. Uh, I was losing a lot of weight, drinking over 10 litres a day. So yeah, I certainly learned a lot of lessons out there uh, about myself. And yeah, if you put your mind to something, you can certainly achieve it.
1: Did you did you feel that you wanted to stop at, at, at a stage in that first fortnight?
0: Definitely. There was one. There was one afternoon, I um, I, I walked into the caravan and I said to Wendy, "I said I'm done. I can't go on." Um, I took off my shoes and they were soaked in blood, and um, I just sat on the on the bed there for a minute and just thought thought about life, and I thought there were so many people around the world that um would give anything to get blisters on their feet from walking too far that are stuck in wheelchairs. There are so many people around the world that are needlessly blind that would love to see the scenery that I've seen. I've still got three meals a day and a roof over my head. So in the whole scheme of things, I'm actually not doing it too bad. And uh, about two minutes later, I put my shoes back on and grabbed some water and I said to Wendy, meet me 10 k down the road. So that was certainly the turning point of that walk.
1: And are there other... Does, does that strength translate into into other challenges in your life? do you find yourself more resilient in in dealing with other challenges yeah I find
0: that um i think if you yeah i'm very very mentally tough uh, i like to think uh, so yeah that certainly certainly helps me through life and other challenges as well
1: you said before that when you were at school, you were, you were coming in last and those, uh, those walkathons. Um, what gave you that, that additional toughness? Was there something that, sw- that switched? Was it when you were doing it for a cause? Or did you just find that over time your pain threshold pushed higher and higher?
0: Uh, it's a really good question, that one. Um, when I was 15, I actually lost my father suddenly. Uh, and a few years later, uh, I lost a good friend from school. And and um, we had actually had three guys that played footy in our under nineteen side that died in a car accident. So I went through a really tough period in my life there, um, probably drinking too much and, and going out and being a bit of a lout. And um, a couple of years after that, I actually lost my best mate who died in his sleep. So I had had a horrendous time, um, battled with a bit of depression, and I sort of just strove through life, not really achieving anything, and I. It was the trip to Nepal that really turned it around for me. Mm. So that was that was the, probably the best thing that I ever did.
1: And after the trip to Nepal, how do you how do you train for something like for, for something like cycling across Australia?
0: Um, I was trying to average about 125, 150 kilometres a day on the cycle across Australia. So I thought if I can get up and and ride hundred kilometres four or five times a week around Canberra, um, it should put me in pretty good stead to to do the ride. There's certainly a few challenging areas. Um, not sure if people know, but just outside Perth, there's quite a large hill called Greenmount. And um, it goes for about six kilometres long. And uh, by the time that I got to the top of that, I was exhausted. And Wendy goes, don't be too exhausted. You've still got another 100k to go. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> Not to mention the other 3,000. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's it. So I after 20k, I thought, oh, I'm going to really struggle here. But yeah, you just chip away at things. It's, it's like when you pay off your home loan. You just chip away at it, chip away at it, and you, and you finally get there. Mm, mm.
1: So the, uh, let's talk about some of your, uh, your next challenges. Uh, 2017 is, uh, is the year in which you tackle the gates of hell. Oh, where are the gates of hell, and uh, how will you set about flinging them open?
0: Yeah, the gates of hell, that's what they call the skeleton coast in Namibia. Uh, it's one of the most isolated and uninhabitable parts on Earth. Uh, it's where the desert meets the sea. So it's going to be very tough and, and challenging. Um, we're also going to walk across the Namib Desert through the sand dunes. And uh, yeah, once we finish that, we're going to walk about 1,000km along the Skeleton Coast to Angola and then drive across Africa. And then we're looking at climbing Mount Kenya, the second largest mountain in, in uh, Africa from sea level. So that's going to be very challenging. We were going to do Mount Kilimanjaro, but it's very commercialised and it was going to cost us about $10,000 to get to the top. Right. So we prefer to put that money towards one of our projects.
1: Uh, and you'll be hitting a tennis ball all the way, I take it?
0: Uh, we're going to do a soccer ball again. Great. Yeah, I think it just connected really well with the yeah. locals. Yeah. Um, yeah, we actually had a – the funny thing, we had a, the soccer balls that we gave out along the way were actually donated to us by a, a kid in uh, Queensland. who's 12 years of age now. And when he was nine, he was watching TV and couldn't understand why kids in refugee camps – didn't have soccer balls to kick, so he said to his mummy, wanted to raise some money and send some, money, some soccer balls across to these kids, and they started up a organisation called Play It Forward. Uh, it's called Mac Miller Play It Forward. So it's it's a really good good thing that he does. We got in contact with him and he wanted to give us a thousand dollars to buy soccer balls uh, along the way to give to kids. So we were sort of the middleman, which was great.
1: Have you had a chance to uh, take him on one of your walks?
0: I haven't. He's only twelve at the moment. Um, I do have to go. Up so you
1: start him off with just a couple of hundred k's, or so.
0: <laughs> I think he's uh, more focused on trying to play soccer at a professional level for Manchester United. Good on him. Um, yeah, but see, yeah, I've got to go up to Queensland in the next couple of months. So hopefully, catch up with him then and yeah, and have a good yeah. chat to him.
1: And then 2018, you have uh, you're doing a, a triathlon, I understand, but uh, but one that makes an Ironman triathlon look like a uh, walk in the park.
0: Yeah. Um, my wife, um, she's not a big fan when I sit at my desk and twirl the World Globe around in my hands. She thinks, what am I up to next?
1: <laughs> well, most of us twirl it because we think about places we aren't flying to. Yeah, uh, but yeah. for you, you think about places you might walk over, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. We're actually looking at, uh, it will be the world's longest ever triathlon. We're looking at starting in St. Petersburg and kayaking about 1,250 kilometres to the top of Poland through the Baltic Sea. Uh, once we reach there, we're going to walk through Europe to Rome, which is about 2,200 kilometres, and then we're going to fly from uh, Rome to Cairo and then cycle 11,000 kilometres from Cairo down to Cape Town. Uh, It's going to be a very interesting trip. Uh, Logistically, it's going to be tough, Mm. but uh, just training for it is going to be really interesting. Um, The kayaking leg, because I do that first, I won't have any problems, but when you start the walk leg, you haven't been able to train for walking for for the last month because you've been in a kayak. Um, And it's going to be the same when I start the cycle. Um, I wouldn't have been on a bike for three months beforehand. So how I'm going to train for that, I'm not too sure. But uh, we might just have to take along an exercise bike or something for the last month of the walk to to get myself ready for the cycle.
1: I imagine it's just what you'll feel like after walking for 100-odd kilometres in the day, uh, spending your evening uh, (laughs) on the exercise bike.
0: Yeah, I've been thinking about that. Um, (laughs) I might just shorten the days a little bit just give myself an hour on the exercise bike at the end of the day. Mm. But I'm still looking to cover 45, 50 kilometres a day.
1: And are there ways you work on training on the mental side? Do you do you meditate? Do you have particular routines that that toughen you up mentally?
0: No, I don't do any of that stuff. Um, I'm actually pretty pretty lazy around the house, my wife would say. But um, I think just... Being, doing what I've done before just gives me great confidence that I can take on these challenges and succeed. Um, people think I'm mad trying to do what I'm doing in two thousand and eighteen, but um I'm going to give it a go and my motto is um never give up so and um yeah, if I can keep that motto and just give it all I've got, I'm sure I'll make it
1: and what are you what are you hoping will come out of that
0: um Obviously, to continue to raise awareness of global poverty. Um, try and get the message out a little bit more through Europe, Yes, uh, which would be great. And, and spend more time in villages through Africa and sort of trying to tell some of the stories of the people and the way that they live their lives over there and the challenges they face on a day-to-day basis just to survive. Uh, so, yeah, they're the main things. Um, obviously, lobbying the Australian government as well to increase its foreign aid. Um, Yes. Found that pretty tough the last couple of years with the cuts that we've been making uh, because we know how effective our foreign aid can be. Um, I've seen it firsthand over in Africa, some of the projects that we've funded and it's been fantastic uh, changing people's lives for the better. So I think it's important that we continue to do that.
1: Yeah, we're not so good at telling those stories, are we? I mean, I feel as though the campaign for... Uh, aid to be 0.5 or 0.7% of gross national income is an important one, but sometimes it can obscure the, the real human stories, such as the, the mother of four that you mentioned before, and the, the, the transformative impact of a child getting to sleep under a bed net, uh, or a, a baby uh, being born to an HIV-positive mother who got antiretrovirals so therefore didn't pass on HIV at the moment of birth.
0: Uh. Yeah, I think we're in a society that likes to focus on the negatives Mm. more so than the Mm. positives. Um, You can see in the media every time you turn the news on, the first five or six stories are all negative stories. Um, But, yeah, if we maybe change our mindset a little bit and start to tell a few more of those positive stories, it could be a good thing for society.
1: Uh, And how do you cope yourself with the notion that you're dealing with a problem as big as global poverty?
0: Not one person can change the world, but we can change someone's life. Um, we've done that a few times, and just knowing, sitting back here, knowing that we've changed people's lives for the better, makes you sleep a lot easier at night. Um, since we started doing this, me and my wife Wendy have never been happier. Uh, we, we actually, a couple of years ago, we decided to start up our gardening business again, and the idea of that was to give away 50% of whatever we make towards charity. And, yeah, since we've started that, we've never been happier. And, yeah, it's been a good move.
1: You live pretty simply?
0: Yeah, we do. We live a pretty simple life. Um, Don't drive a flash car. Um, Yeah, I just don't sort of believe in that kind of stuff. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, the decision to to live on $1.50 a a day while uh, while walking across Africa is, I think, to me, one of the most uh, impressive slash... Shocking slash uh, can't imagine doing it myself. But, uh, uh, yes, that's that notion that how we live reflects on, on how we, we want others to live is really critical.
0: Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, I just wanted to put myself in the shoes of the world's pool mm. and, and find out how it is to survive on so little. And it's horrendously tough. Yeah, you wouldn't wish it on anyone at all. Uh, it's funny, I actually went out to the baseball here in Canberra on uh, Saturday night And I was in the merchandise tent and this person came up and and bought a hat and it was $55 for the hat and I thought, wow, that's a bit expensive. But then I thought about it I thought that $55 is what that lady, Mozambique, has to feed her family for six months. And people just spend that money willy-nilly and don't even think about it. Yes. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, there's that uh, Peter Singer metaphor about uh – uh, the child who's drowning in the lake um, where most of us would think it was completely unethical to say that we wouldn't rush into a lake to uh, save a child who is drowning because it might ruin our $100 shoes but yet we don't feel the same ethical compunction to give $100 to somebody in a developing country knowing that it could save the life of a child. Um, there's, uh, the the ethical tug isn't as, as strong when global poverty is further away.
0: Yeah, so true because uh, we are very isolated here in Australia. Um, yeah, it's good that you mentioned Peter Singer. He's um, he's actually a big supporter of ours. He's actually one of our ambassadors. Great. Right. Um, so, yeah, he's done a lot of great work around the world in, in raising awareness of global poverty, so hopefully we can work together with him in the next few years.
1: Who else has inspired you and in how you think about global poverty?
0: Um, probably Nelson Mandela, to be honest. Um, I think I'm a big fan of what he's done in mm. trying to bring equality to the world. Um, through black and black and white, male and female, I think we've still got a long way to go in the world inequality between male and female, especially in developing countries. Um, but yeah, he's probably the main one that sort of stood yeah. out for me.
1: Yeah. Well, let me wrap up with a set of standard questions that I ask all of uh, all of the interviewees. Um, what advice would you give to your teenage self?
0: Uh, there's probably a couple of things I'd do. Uh, I'd give myself advice on study harder at school very important um probably would have got a little help with the issues that i had um going through my late teenage years and early 20s um i would have got help a lot earlier uh now i've lost my hair i would have done all the hairstyles i could have had hair (laughs) that's one thing i would have done for sure
1: the lost mohawk
0: yeah that's it so um
1: what's something you used to believe but no longer do
0: well, this is a funny one. It's, it's an interesting question. I used to believe that um, when you used to get on a plane and you put your luggage in, that all your luggage used to go on a faster plane so it would get there before you arrived.
1: Those but, baggage handlers are pretty quick.
0: Well, I know that now. But when I was seven or eight years of age, I, yeah, I was convinced there was another plane that got our bag- baggage there quicker. But uh, yeah, it was pretty embarrassing. That's
1: fantastic. <laughs> um, when are you most happy?
0: I think I'm most happy when I'm taking on those adventures and raising awareness for the world's poor, um, spending time with 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 genuine people um, that, that haven't got a lot in life and yet they're so happy and that certainly rubs off on you.
1: Is there a moment in the day of a typical trek that you're happiest? Do you find you're happiest when you're taking your first step or when you've taken your last step for the day? Definitely the last. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Certainly when you take your last step and you just get to sit down in a chair, you sort of... Just relax for a little bit, and just sort of um, reminisce on the day, and and sort of what you, what you learn from the day as well, and the people mm. that you meet.
1: What's the most important thing you do to stay mentally and physically healthy?
0: I think exercise is really important. Uh, I think it's underestimated in society how important exercise is, uh, not just for your physical health um, and keeping your weight intact. But uh, also your mental health. I think it's really important. I know myself, if I've had a couple of lazy days on the couch or, or something like that. I, I really feel it and feel the effect. So I need to go out for a walk or jump on the exercise bike and, and do something.
1: So you do, you aim to do something every day?
0: Yeah, I do. Well, I've got a garden maintenance business, so that keeps me pretty active. Yeah. But on the days I'm not, not working, yeah, I certainly aim to do something every day. Uh,
1: do you have any guilty pleasures?
0: Chocolate. Love it. Uh, that's my... Um, Yeah, it's my weak point, I won't lie to you. It's funny, when I'm on these long trips, I crave peanut butter, uh, which is interesting. I I don't eat peanut butter when I'm back here, but uh, I even got someone to deliver a couple of um, jars of peanut butter to us in the middle of the Nullarbor plane. I was that desperate for it, so I knew someone who was driving across, and yeah, (laughs) they drove to Ceduna and picked up a couple of jars for us and dropped them off to us. So Yeah, it's one of the things I enjoy while I'm out there walking away.
1: I know it doesn't make most people's lists of superfoods, but it's certainly top of my list of superfoods. And and finally, what person or experience has most shaped your view of living an ethical life?
0: There's probably three things. Um, Father Richard, he's my local priest up at Pierce, he's fantastic. Uh, We've got similar views on a lot of things, and he sort of motivates me to continue to do what I do. Uh, The things that probably the trip to Nepal certainly was a life changer for me. And uh, as I said before, the lady I met in Mozambique uh, that inspired me to continue to do what I do. I was pretty content when I'd finished walking across Africa and I thought I'm going to go back to living a normal life for a while, but uh, after meeting her, I thought, no, you can't do that.
1: Yeah, I said that was the last question, but I realized we haven't touched on your on your faith. Uh, how How does your uh, Christianity shape uh, what you what you do?
0: Uh, it has a big part in what I do. Uh, There's numerous references through the Bible about helping the world's poor uh, and treating each other the way you'd like them to treat you. So I think that's a good way to live your life. Uh, Not everyone's for the Bible, but I think it's a good manuscript of how you should live your life. Uh, So yeah, I I take a lot out of that.
1: Do you pray each day?
0: I certainly did across Africa in the line Zone, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I do. Yeah, I say a couple of prayers each day and and before I go to bed at night.
1: And so that's, that's the wellspring of your, your inspiration for wanting to, wanting to help the world's poor?
0: Yeah, that's it. And I, I have no doubt some parts across Africa where I was in a little bit of strife that I was certainly helped across, um, especially one part in, in South Africa. There's a bit of a dodgy area and um, yeah, I'm sure I was helped through that area, that's for sure. Mm.
1: Matt Napier, intrepid explorer and campaigner to end global poverty. Thanks for joining us in the Good Life podcast today.
0: No worries. Thank you, Andrew.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Good Life. If you like The Good Life podcast, why not rate us on iTunes? It helps. We're taking a couple of weeks' break now. We'll be back refreshed and re-energised in the new year. If you missed any past episodes, do check out our archives with people like Michael Kirby, Dick Telford, Lana Sanders, Nikki Johnson, Annabelle Crabb and Michael Trail. See you soon.